Section 8 of The New York Gardener. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. The New York Gardener by P. Agricola. Section 8. May, Part 3. Purslane. There are two species of this plant, the narrow-leaved wild purslane, which lies with its stalks upon the ground, and the broad-leaved garden purslane, which grows erect, sometimes to the height of two feet, with diffused branches. The latter is a valuable pot-herb, by many esteemed before beans or peas. The young shoots and succulent leaves are the parts used, and they are boiled sufficiently in a minute. When cut off, it directly sprouts again, and may be recut several times. It requires a rich, light soil, and as the seed is very small, attention is necessary or you will sow too much. There is no other culture which this plant requires but to keep it free from weeds, and if the weather is favorable, it will be fit for use in six weeks after sowing. Sorrel The broad-leaved garden sorrel is an early and pleasant salad, and as it has considerable virtues as a medicine and is successfully used for taking stains out of linen, should have a place in every garden, particularly as it will flourish in almost any situation or soil. It should be sown early in the spring, and afterwards transplanted into shady borders four or five inches apart. Or it may be allowed a separate allotment, where it will grow with very little attention for many years. Beans There are two species of this plant cultivated in our gardens, the English horse-bean and the kidney-bean. The former has several varieties, as the Windsor, Tokar, Mazagon, etc., and the latter has varieties without number. The several kinds of English bean require a strong, rich, loamy soil, and should be planted as early in this month as it is possible to get them into the ground. Otherwise these beans will produce but little in our climate, for if the hot weather of our summers come on while they are in bloom, very few pods will set, and the crop will be poor and scanty. As soon as the weather will permit, and the ground is sufficiently dry, make ready an open allotment, and plant the early magazon, tokar, and other varieties of this bean. By planting these different sorts at the same season, you will secure a regular succession of fruit, according to their different degrees of earliness. You need be under no apprehension that the weather will injure them, as they are of a hardy nature, and will not suffer by any frost, which may happen after this time of year. Plant the small early kinds in drills, two feet apart, and four or five inches distant in the rows, and the larger kinds three feet asunder, row from row, and about six inches from each other along the drills. Kidney beans are so called from their resembling in shape the kidney of an animal. They are much more sensible of cold and wet than the preceding species, and should therefore be planted later, for if they are drenched with cold rain for only a few days, they turn yellow and are stunted irreparably, and the slightest frost destroys them. The practical gardener understands this and never commits them to the earth until the weather becomes settled and warm, and if afterwards an unexpected cool evening should happen, he covers his favorite plants with light boards. They are divided by nature into two classes, those which are called dwarf or bush beans, and those which run to vine and require poles for their support. Some of them grow best upon a sandy, others upon a loamy, soil. 
select for cultivation the kind which experience shows best suited to our climate and soil and which best supply the wants of your family it is not necessary to plant every variety you can hear of choose the best of each class and let the over-curious take care of the rest for magnitude and show the lima bean stands at the head of the family it is a native of a more southern latitude than ours and although many of the pods become dry and fully ripe yet autumnal frosts which succeed our longest seasons always destroy the vines in the midst of their bearing it requires a strong and rich soil and is then a luxuriant plant and copious bearer the beans are large and the pods to the number of ten or twelve are produced one after another upon lateral spikes like grapes there is of this bean a red and a white variety the flowers are gay and in color resemble the fruit so that when intermixed their deep red and white flowers make a beautiful appearance they should be put into the ground as early as the season will permit previous to planting provide strong poles eight feet long stretch a line and with an iron bar make holes a foot deep to receive them the poles along the line should stand two feet from each other and the rows four feet apart when the poles are firmly fixed place four or five beans in a circle about each and cover them two inches deep with light earth these beans are frequently cultivated as an ornamental flower particularly in forming fancy hedges and when trained near a wall or over an arch and led up with lines of pack thread they unite both characters and are at once both ornamental and useful during the month of august they render a walk in the kitchen garden extremely delightful for the flowers have a powerful fragrance the red and white cranberry beans may be planted in the same way the rows may be somewhat nearer together and the poles need not be so long if they are full of branches so much the better all beans that run to vine should have suitable supporters fixed in the ground before planting that no injury may happen to their infant roots by placing them afterwards from the numerous variety of bush beans select the best bearers and those best adapted to your soil the china bean for its many good qualities merits particular notice upon the richest land it will never run to vine and is always more or less prolific as the soil and tillage are good it is earlier in the pod and sooner ripe than any other of the species and for every use in the kitchen is in great esteem let your land be bountifully mannered and well wrought and plant these beans in hills eighteen inches apart each way in general all dwarf beans are sown in drills about two feet asunder three or four inches distant from each other in the lines and covered with two inches of light soil press down the ground lightly with the hoe and take care that no stone or clod prevent their egress beans are an important article in every family and should abound in your garden successively presenting their bounties there is perhaps no climate in the world where the kidney bean with all its varieties flourishes better or arrives to greater perfection than in our own it was one of the few native grains which fed the aborigines of this country before the arrival of europeans and to this day furnishes a moiety of their vegetable food spinach is the only plant cultivated for culinary use which produces the male and female flowers on different plants there are two principal varieties the prickly seeded with triangular oblong segitate leaves and the smooth seeded with round or blunt leaves 
The latter has the most succulent leaves, and is preferred for summer crops. Spinach should be sown in shallow drills, about a foot apart, upon a light, dry, but rich soil. This mode is a little more labor at first, but is compensated by the ease with which the thinning, cleaning, and gathering are afterwards accomplished. When the plants are come up, the ground should be hoed to destroy the weeds, and cut out the plants where they are too close, leaving the remaining about three inches asunder. And when they are grown so large as to meet, you may then cut out a part of them to use, thinning them that they may have room to spread, until the plants stand eight or ten inches apart. Then hoe the ground again, and carefully destroy every rising weed. Let this be done in dry weather, and your spinach will flourish, and often produce foliage as large as the broad-leaved dock, and will be extremely fine, making a pot-herb universally admired. Spinach is an annual, which soon runs to seed in our hot and dry summers. So, therefore, as soon as possible in this month, and again about the middle, and you will not want for this article until the growth of young beets supplies their place. Peas will grow well upon almost any good soil that is sufficiently dry, and has not lately been manured. Of this pulse the varieties are endless. The farmer should not cultivate many of them in his garden. His principal crops will grow in the field, where, aided by the plough and harrow, the pea will flourish and produce abundantly, and much room and labour in the garden be saved for other purposes. Like the bean, they are naturally divided into two classes, the climbers and the dwarfs. Do not permit your desire of having peas early upon the table, to prompt the planting before the ground is suitably dry. They will certainly bear considerable frost and not be destroyed, yet if the earth is wet as well as cold, they frequently perish. As soon, however, as the ground works freely and vegetation commences, you may prepare for an early crop of peas. For this purpose, choose a south border of dry, light earth. Raise the soil into narrow sloping ridges about a foot broad at the bottom and nine inches high, and at the distance of three or four feet from each other, ranging these in a north and south direction. Then on the easterly sides of these ridges, three or four inches from the top, make your drills, and plant the early charlton, or other dwarfs, and cover them two inches with fine earth. In this situation they will have the advantage of the morning and midday sun, lie dry, and will consequently advance in vegetation much more rapidly than if sown in the ordinary way. The climbers, as the marrowfat, etc., may be planted somewhat later. When the allotment for these has been well dug over, rake the hole smooth and level, then stretch a line and make a drill two inches deep. Here scatter the seed, and immediately cover them with the rake. Then take some brushwood, previously prepared, and stick it in the ground eight inches from the line, so as to form a double row, with the tops resting against each other. To these their tendrils will extend, and in this way they will be prevented from falling upon the ground, and the light and air having free access to all their branches will cause them to be much more fruitful. Seed peas are very often full of living bugs. Never plant such if to be avoided. They will propagate their kind, and most certainly infest your future crop. If, however, no other seed is to be had, immerse them in boiling water while you can leisurely count six, then instantly throw them into a basket, that the hot water may drain off. This will effectually destroy the animal, and cause no injury to the pea. When the plants have attained the height of two or three inches, hoe the space between the rows, and draw earth about their stems. This will strengthen them much, and forward them greatly in their growth. Broom Corn 
although this can scarcely be called a kitchen vegetable yet surely there is none more oftener wanted there and as it requires the best of land and tillage it should never be absent from the farmer's garden the border or whatever place you may assign for broom corn should without delay be laid up into small ridges that it may dry and become warm by the middle of this month then or soon afterwards as possible level down the ridges pulverize the soil and intimately mix the manure then stretch the line and with the small hoe make a furrow two inches deep along this strew the seed with a liberal hand and with a fine rake cover it with light earth then move back your line three feet and in this way plant whatever quantity you please broom corn seed of a good quality is sometimes procured with difficulty that only which is heavy and of a bright shining color is worth planting that which is pale and light may sometimes grow but it will never produce strong plants and the best of seed will lose its vitality in four or five years the seed of last year is always to be preferred for it will come up with broader leaves and grow much faster good seed will certainly come up quite too thick but the labor of pulling out the surplus plants is trifling and fully compensated by being able to reserve those only which appear stout and healthy when the plants are three inches above the ground destroy the most feeble and leave the best to stand four or five inches apart along the rows at the same time hoe away all weeds that might have sprung up and stir the soil around them broom corn in its infancy is a very feeble plant and requires frequent and careful nursing guinea corn is a plant in size and appearance very much like broom corn and requires the same method of cultivation the seed is fine food for poultry and when hulled as barley is by many esteemed superior to rice the grain also makes an excellent substitute for chocolate for this purpose it is first roasted and pulverized like coffee then prepared and served up like chocolate which it very much resembles sweet corn maize or indian corn is a grain of great value and among the numerous and useful varieties of this plant there is none that more deserves the farmer's notice than that which is usually called sweet corn all the other kinds seem intended by nature for storage and winter consumption for in a few days after the grains are fully formed they begin to glaze as it is termed and then become unfit for human food until it has passed through the mill but the excellence of sweet corn consists in the kernels remaining so long in milk and being at the same time extremely rich and saccharine for several weeks it is good for boiling it is later than many other kinds of indian corn and is just fit for the table when the field corn has become too hard it should never be planted until the weather becomes settled and warm and the land dry before the twentieth of this month your land intended for this grain should be made ready and be planted in hills three feet apart put eight or ten grains in every hill and place a shovelful of well-rotted manure around each and cover the hole two inches deep with fine earth the seed of the sweet corn is more liable to injury than almost any other grain the best kernels when dry are flat and shriveled and look as if they would never germinate and should therefore always be tried before planting for this purpose take a handful of seed and place it in a dunghill or hotbed if it has been well preserved it will sprout never use seed more than a year if you can avoid it for if it should grow the plants will not be strong and vigorous take particular care that no grains of any other kind are planted with your sweet corn for very few plants of the field corn growing with or near it will adulterate and spoil your crop indian corn produces the male flower or farina upon the very pinnacle of the plant 
and this is frequently wafted by the wind to a considerable distance, so that if you would keep any of the varieties pure and distinct, never plant them within four or five rods of each other. As all kinds of maize require the same mode of cultivation, you cannot do better than to pursue the practice above recommended upon your farm. The saving of manure from this mode of applying it is a very considerable item in farming economy. Six times the quantity spread over the ground and ploughed in will not produce the same benefit. If you would make the most of your manure, let it be piled and prepared the year before it is wanted. At the time of planting, put a shovelful around and in contact with the seed, but never above or below it. If you place the dung above the corn, the young sprouts will find it difficult to pass through. If below, and the first part of the season should be dry, it will greatly increase the injurious effects of the drought. Indian corn differs materially from any other grain we cultivate. It will grow advantageously, indeed it will improve, if planted several years successively upon the same land. The aborigines of this country planted it every year upon the same spot, yet their crops were good, and the same land, now under our cultivation, continues to produce corn abundantly. Although I would not be understood as advising you never to change your cornfield, yet if you will practice as above, you will assuredly find the quality of the soil improve, the weight of the crop increase, and the expense of tillage lessen for at least four or five years in succession. Indian corn requires a soil naturally rich or artificially made so. The alluvial soil upon the banks of our streams is, of all others, the best suited to this plant, but sandy or gravelly soil will everywhere, if properly cultivated and bountifully manured, produce a heavy crop, sometimes more than a hundred bushels per acre. Gypsum is a cheap and valuable manure. Experience alone can determine its utility. It is folly in the extreme to plant Indian corn upon clay or wet land, or upon any other so situate as to retain the copious showers that frequently fall at this season of the year. If your land is not sufficiently dry before the end of this month, plant not at all. Better sow your land to oats, or convert it to a fallow. End of section 8